The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Welcome to another installment of the Jason Barrett Podcast. I am Jason Barrett, just back from a fifth straight week on the road. The latest adventure was to Penn State. Had it not been for a heavy downpour, the trip might have been my favorite. Aside from having my son there with his friend from college, the pregame festivities were awesome. Watching outside the stadium as the band, cheerleaders, mascot, and team interact with the fans to fire them up was outstanding. The campus itself was awesome. Best parking situation we've encountered so far. State College might be in the middle of nowhere, but everyone there lives and breathes Penn State football. But again, I wish we had better weather to fully enjoy the experience. Next up, a trip to Gainesville to see the Gators face Mizzou, who almost knocked off previously number one ranked Georgia. After that, we had three final trips booked, Texas, USC, and Oklahoma, but I just added a quick visit to Syracuse on October 29th to watch the Orange face Notre Dame, so now we've got four more to go. Anyway, that's all the personal stuff. Let's get to some business. On this episode, we're going to dive into the sports betting space. I've been looking forward to this because I'm joined by two guests who've got great perspective on it. Terry Dugan is the vice president of content for Bet Rivers. Adam Delavitt is the director of broadcasting and streaming media for Bet Rivers. Many in sports radio have likely heard that name. Adam used to program ESPN 1000 in Chicago. I wanted to chat with these guys because they can get into both the content space but also touch on the advertising business since Bet Rivers buys ad time on a lot of stations. I think you'll learn a bit from the conversation with them. That's coming up in a few minutes. Before I share a few opinions, we've officially entered double-digit episodes for this show. Hopefully you've checked out a prior episode or two, either on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Google, YouTube, or one of the other platforms. Whether you have or haven't, You're here now, so if I can ask a small favor, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so you can help us spread the word about it, and make sure you stay informed about upcoming episodes. Okay, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard. Attention. Attention. Have I got your attention now? Last episode, we talked about the arrival of a new sports radio brand in Dallas. This episode... We say goodbye to one in South Florida. News broke that Odyssey made a decision to turn off the lights at 790 the ticket and make way for a new Spanish talk format. Now look, I'm not privy to the market's revenue numbers, so I'm sure there was a consideration when making the switch. And given Miami's heavy Hispanic population, from the outside looking in, I can understand if they feel there's an opportunity to enter the space and generate bigger dollars and ratings with this approach. Having said that, I can't help but wonder how the ticket might have fared 
had Odyssey not acquired WQAM and tried to operate the two top local sports radio brands. In years past, there was a good competition between QAM and the ticket, but that was lost once they began operating under the same roof. You look back, 790 had Stu Gatz's prints all over it. You had hosts there like Dan Lebitard, George Sedano, Sid Rosenberg, Boog Shambi, Mark Hockman, Jonathan Zaslow, talented women like Joy Taylor and Amber Wilson. But if you look at what's taken place the past five years, it's been a revolving door. Jonathan Zaslow last week was let go. Ethan Skolnick, Chris Winningham, Brett Romberg, Izzy Gutierrez, Josh Friedman, Kevin Rogers, Alex Dono, Big O, Amber Wilson, Mike Wallace, Brian the Beast London, all those names were with this brand, no longer there. In fact, speaking of the Beast, Brian London, he just talked about this situation on his YouTube channel. There's a lengthier video, which I would tell you if you want to learn about the Miami situation, go check it out. He gets into about 15, 16 minutes of it. But here's a quick snippet of what London had to say and who he holds accountable. Sports talk on 790 is dead. And this makes sense after moving the heat to 560, after firing Zaslow, he was a staple in this market, didn't deserve to lose his job. Um, it's a sad day. If I'm Stu Gotts, if I'm Dan Levitard, if I'm the people that started 790 of the ticket, I'm pretty upset today because the baby that I delivered is just being tossed away because the company that owns it has no idea what they're doing from a business sense. Look, I'm not here to beat up Odyssey. I'm sure there's a financial reason why they're making the move, but I don't believe 790 the ticket missed the mark because there wasn't enough of an appetite for it in Miami, nor do I buy that money couldn't have been made with the station. I see it as simple as companies not being able to take full advantage of operating two top sports radio brands at once. They're fine with one dominant brand and a second affiliate station that might clear national or sports betting content. But when it comes to going all in on two sports brands at once, history shows us it's usually a miss. If you look to Dallas, when ESPN 103.3 moved from being locally operated by ESPN to Cumulus, the station went backwards and it eventually disappeared. The fan in D.C. and Team 980 isn't the same battle as it used to be when Red Zebra was in charge. Now we have another example here in Miami. By the way, in Dallas and D.C.'s case, we can point that out, that Cumulus and Odyssey didn't do the best job running the secondary stations they took on, but they were right to prioritize the ticket and the fan. I wouldn't have done anything different there. Thankfully, when Odyssey acquired CBS, they weren't allowed to keep WEEI and 98.5, the sports hub. If they had... We may be talking about Boston today, too. Back then, Odyssey chose to sell the hub to Beasley, which many view across the industry as the wrong choice. But regardless, those two stations still operate the format and employ people and produce local sports radio content. Competitively, the hub has, of course, owned the ratings and revenue battle. But I'd rather that be the case and see WEEI in existence rather than be where 790 is today. Though it marks the end of an era for 790 The Ticket, that station will always be responsible for launching Dan Lebetard and Stu Gatz onto the national stage. It's a place where Joy Taylor, Boog Shambi, and Amber Wilson also operate now. What will be most interesting to monitor 
is if the availability of talent in the marketplace convinces another operator to leap into the sports space in the future. Metal Arc Media and Five Reasons Sports, led by Ethan Skolnick, have done a nice job digitally in South Florida. I'm sure at some point, local teams will want more attention and a brand focused on them rather than being bounced around when conflicts arise. If you're in the building at Cox Media or iHeart in Miami, you're likely asking, does sports make sense for us? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I'm sure other groups will also ask, can we make money in the 11th largest market if we acquired a signal and went all in on sports? It obviously has to make business sense. It's well known that Miami Sports Radio hasn't exactly set the world on fire from a rating standpoint over the years. That said, a brand is only as strong as its talent, and it can't be successful without focus and commitment. There's a lot of good talent available in South Florida. I can't help but wonder how that might benefit a group that's willing to provide focus and a real commitment. Well done, sir. If you've got an opinion on the 790 saga or anything else for that matter, my email is jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Time now to shift gears and set up this week's conversation. The sports betting industry continues to blossom with half of the country not even fully legalized yet. It's likely going to see continued growth in the space in the immediate future. And one group in particular, Bet Rivers, has added a lot of top-notch former sports radio talent to its lineup. In fact, I can report there's a new name joining the company's already potent lineup. Toronto sports radio icon Bob McCown has just entered into a partnership with the company as well. He follows Mike Francesa, Mike Missinelli, Dan McNeil, Mark Schlereth, Mark Madden, Danny Parkins, Brandon Stokely, Dan O'Toole, and others. They've done an impressive job on the content side, but they're also marketing partners of sports radio brands across the globe. And I thought it'd be interesting and helpful for you to get a feel for how they see the world of audio, as well as what they value when it comes to advertising. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the Vice President of Content for Bet Rivers, Terry Dugan, and the brand's Director of Broadcasting and Streaming Media, Adam Delavitt. Yo, listen! Terry, I'm, I'm going to make Delavitt blush a little because you obviously made a decision about a year, year and a half ago to bring Adam on board. When you were going through that process, trying to figure out who you needed to guide this brand going forward. What made this guy stand out and be the right guy to, to work with you? Well, I would say that when you're starting something from absolute scratch, where it's not your core skill set by any means, when someone falls into your lap, you should probably keep going with that motion. So, you know, for us, we knew we were pretty far away also from spinning up a lot of video uh, content and where we were going to start for sure was going to be podcasts and audio. So it just made perfect sense for, uh, for us to bring on Adam. Adam also had a uh, really good background with betting, or at least he told us. And then, <laughs> and then he showed us his bet slips that were losing. And we said, oh yeah, for sure, we got that one. And, you know, we, we just taken a long time to try to feel our way out and, and how do we make this work? And and all of a sudden it clicked. And then one thing starts uh, building upon itself and suddenly we're 
producing a really vast amount of podcasts that are taking various shapes and sizes and really big name guys and, and some people may, maybe you've never heard of before uh, trying to cater to our user base the best we can. Adam, in your case, you would spend time, you know, 21 years essentially in radio. So this is an adjustment going from the ratings world of sports radio, dealing with over-the-air broadcast to now digital. What's that first year, year and a half of transition been like for you? It's been great. You know, I always pushed sports betting content at ESPN. While Disney owned us, it was a little hard to get a lot of things through just because they pushed back because it wasn't legal in state yet. Even though when we did sports betting conference or segments about making picks, it always drew numbers. At ESPN, I was involved in radio, but we also did a local um, expansion years ago with ESPN Chicago, ESPN New York, ESPN LA, where we had these local websites and we integrated shows, podcasts, local reporters between audio and digital and tried to combine everything. So there is a little bit of that in what we're doing because there's you know, 14 legal markets of sports book and four or five legal markets of online casinos. So there is a little bit of local regionalized content with good big personalities that have some fan bases that maybe we're not hardcore sports betters, but you know, they know the lingo and they can kind of talk around it. Um, so in a roundabout way, I think, you know, it's been a great adjustment. Um, I always wanted to get in the industry once it became legal um, in 2018. You know, Adam hasn't really escaped the world of ratings per se. He's escaped the world of ratings for the sake of advertising. Yep. I mean, we're still very much focused on the duration of viewers, duration of listeners, how many people that we've got coming on board, where are they coming from? You know, we're definitely analyzing all of the content and working to make it better, trying to balance out the analytical part with the uh, creative part. Uh, but it is certainly a different world when you're not trying to jam in as many advertisers as you can during a certain period of time. But I, I do have the same mindset about like, I come in every day and, you know, I want to win in that respect, even though it's not, you know, PPM ratings per se, it's still in my mind, we're still getting rated like Terry said in those ways. Let's talk about the roster. I don't know if everybody even understands how big of a roster you've assembled. You've got Mike Francesa, you got Mark Madden, Mark Schlereth, Brandon Stokely, Dan McNeil, Dan O'Toole, Danny Parkins. You have Mike Missinelli. Like those are some of the biggest names in sports radio over the last two decades. Was this part of the plan as you guys were assembling an audio strategy, or was this a case of people become available and you seize opportunity? A little bit of both. A few things sort of fell into place with some of them. But one thing I think we learned and we maybe we both knew was you need talent personalities to keep people and bring more people in. I've been managing talent for a long time, so that hasn't changed. It's just a different way of managing them because it's a big change from do, these guys doing five days a week to a few days a week of podcasting. So to get in that mindset, it's taken a few longer. Um, but I think 90%, 95% of everybody has kind of bought in and the other 5% is, is getting there, to be honest. I think that was the plan in the back of our heads. It just took a little while to get there and get through the weeds a little bit of what we were doing. Um, but I think we're on, on the path now. You know, we've also, for quite a while, we've taken a regional approach to how we uh, look at our markets, right? Uh, we don't have the national footprint that uh, maybe some others do. 
So we've always tried to look for what is it that the people who we service want the most. And certainly we have transitioned a little bit more from very hardcore sports betting to more uh, fan-focused sports content, but it's still with the local audience in mind. Hey, you care about your teams, right? And we want to give you some of the best voices around that can talk about your teams and, and what's going on right now. And a lot of those guys obviously are in big cities. I mean, I look around, you've got some smaller places that are, you know, where you guys are licensed, like Virginia, West Virginia, Iowa. Do you guys envision in the future expanding into focusing on some of the smaller spots, even though it may not have the reach of a New York, a Chicago, you know, a Philadelphia? Well, we already do uh, have something a little bit more local in Louisiana as well. But uh, as Adam referred to earlier, if we find the talent that would resonate in the market, I think it gives us more of a cause to do it as opposed to maybe a little bit more coming in from scratch. Some of the markets, it's a little bit more difficult to get off the ground too because they don't have the pro sports uh, calendar all the way around, right? Like uh, Indiana, you don't have baseball in the summer, right? So you're either going to take a pause somewhere or you're going to have to find something else to talk about that's relevant to that audience week in, week out. Uh, same with Iowa. There's no pro sports in Iowa at all. So once that college season's over, then what do we do? They enjoyed all kinds of different teams, Kansas City, Minneapolis, Chicago, Denver. So which do you focus on? You can't really yep. talk about all of them. So some of it is based on, you know, you want to make the mark in the, the bigger DMA that you can make the mark in. But you know, a lot of it is we just haven't, maybe we just haven't found the right person in the right format yet. You know, for some people listening to this, they're probably going to wonder, how do you guys measure the impact of a show working or not working? Is it about podcast downloads, video views, customer acquisition, distribution? I'm sure in some ways it's probably all of that, but what, what do you specifically look at first and foremost to say, hey, this makes sense for us and it's working or, hey, we've got work to do and it's not hitting what I need? We certainly want to see growth in podcast downloads. We want to see growth in subscribers, growth in video views. But uh, if we're seeing more growth in time listened to, you know, I think that that's really, really appropriate. Uh, hours, you know, hours listened to, and then back that out to what did this, what did this entire enterprise cost me per hour yep. uh, to try to get out? But first and foremost, it's all retention. Did the people who were here listening last week continue to listen this week? Did I get more users this week because I either ran some advertising or we were doing more of a social push? And you see that in the views, you see it in, uh, you do see it in the downloads. I mean, it's hard to measure podcast efficiency because mm -hmm. of the very simple format of podcast data. Um, but when it comes to platforms like YouTube, it's extremely uh, efficient in the data that you get back out of it. So we also look to make sure that we're hitting the right locations because just a raw number doesn't mean as much to you as knowing that, well, most of the people who listened to Mike Missanelli were in the Philadelphia market, which was our first intention anyway. Yep. Um, so we have to follow some things directionally, but uh, the, if people are not listening to a show for very long, it's probably not good for us. We're very satisfied with where a number of those shows are, but there are other shows where we say, oh, why are people not listening to this very long? And it's typically because the show is more of a one-trick pony. Like you're here to get some sports betting tips, 
I just want to listen to the tips. I don't necessarily want to listen to the context. Uh, so we see a shorter uh, listening duration. And those are the shows that we're going to work on to enhance the value of the context uh, of the content. Like Terry said, the instant analytics of, say, YouTube, of the feedback that I can give the talent and different show units is amazing compared to the radio days where you'd have to wait a week or two to see what you maybe have done. And then you have to go back and see, check a log or what you've done. Whereas these days in the digital world, you can give instant feedback. Um, you get the instant analytics and I'm able to talk to the talent or the different show units about, you know, what's working or whether it's too long, or maybe you took too long to get to this or that. Um, it's really great. Well, you get to target the audience, what Terry touched on with the Missinelli approach, like I'm in New York, I'll see ads come up on my Facebook timeline for Mike Francesa. If, if I, someone like myself has grown up listening to him, I'm into what he does. I see the ad, I'm likely to click through because I've already got that trust and relationship. One thing that you guys are doing that I've noticed is you're also in some niche spaces. And when I say niche, you know, I'm sure like if you're a hardcore soccer fan, you don't think it's niche. In the mainstream American television radio world, you would say soccer, cricket, Formula One. Those are more niche spaces. That being said, there's some big opportunities in those spaces. So what have you guys seen that had you looking at that from a programming standpoint saying, hey, that's a space we should be you know, running towards? I'd say from the very beginning, when we just started to put our podcast uh, content projects together, the whole purpose of it is for our own existing audience. It was less about trying to be mass market, trying to bring people into the fold. We hope that that comes in as a secondary effect. But the first thing is, hey, we know who's betting on Formula One. We can provide good, realistic content for them to help them inform their betting decisions. So through different CRM methods, right, we are saying, hey, the Formula One shows out if you want to go listen to it. If you don't want to, that's fine right? Yeah. Uh, but same with tennis betting. It's hard to find a good tennis betting podcast, but <laughs> or you, we hope that if you uh, listen to ours, that you will not only find the winners that you might want to bet on, but also the whole methodology behind people who are really good at betting on tennis. What do they really look at when they're trying to evaluate what to bet on? And it's not always this favorite might win, but my odds are short. You know, if you're going to actually try to maximize your return, you should look elsewhere and take that risk because these other players have a chance to make some upsets. And that's not something you often are able to get uh, with some, some other sports where people are just trying to churn through a, a, a lot of games for this NFL weekend and such. But we're able to provide some context as to why these guys are betting this way. I mean, they didn't just start betting this way either. They've been betting for a very long time. And, uh, you know, we think our tennis audience especially appreciates that. And uh, we want them to keep betting with us as well. And I want to, you know, throw some bouquets to Terry a little bit. You know, when I came in, we had a long conversation with me about, you say, these niche sports. And it's a big undertaking. But we were able to do it. And I think we're probably the only people doing it. But at the end of the day, like you said, customer acquisition is huge. We also want to give our customers what they want. We want to serve them if they're playing cricket or betting on F1. We want to make sure that we kind of keep them in the Bet Rivers ecosystem because we're trying to kind of super serve our fans already, and we want to give them whatever we can offer. There are a lot of states, obviously, that have went down this path the last five, six years. 
which is great. We see that there's been growth in the sports betting space. That being said, that means that there's still a lot of room for opportunity because if, you know, there are plenty of states that haven't taken the plunge. Okay, that's what we're all hoping will become the case down the road. You look at California, everybody is looking at what's going to happen in November. Will the bill pass or not? And there's mixed opinions on that. I'm curious from your vantage point, which states do you look at and say there's potential there for us to focus on? People look at Texas, they look at Alabama, they're like, is that ever going to happen? You know, if a state goes legal, you guys get licensed. There are going to be some priorities, I'm sure, on your list of like, hey, these are ones that we need to keep our eye on and we expect to be be looking at in the near future. And there's some that just aren't worth your energy. The short answer is we're not really focusing on them right now. I think the two states that you mentioned with California and Texas, once those come into play, you start looking at a little bit more of a national strategy because so much U.S. population will now be allowed to sports bet. But when it comes to the content that we're that people generally like, especially like if you look at any radio ratings, if you've got a local show, it's usually trumping any type of national uh, syndicated programming that's yep. right there too. Uh, so we're we're not really um, looking right now for an edge in Los Angeles or San Francisco or Dallas. We would probably prefer to keep our keep our team a little bit smaller. Uh, so that everybody is, is really involved and to uh, just redouble our efforts in the places where we can have a little bit more of an impact now, knowing that it is a repeatable process in other jurisdictions, um, if you find the right talent. I mean, one thing that I want to ask you about, Terry, because you've got a unique perspective. Not only are you in the content space, but you also have a mind and deal with the marketing space. So, you know, when you guys are approaching brands and working with stations to say, hey, we're going to we're going to give you some business. We expect something back in return. Like, first of all, what's the response? Like, (laughs) I'm thinking you probably do some business with the Odysseys, the Beasleys, right? Or do you find the stations are warm and fuzzy (laughs) to let you run ads with those guys? Or is it more or less Uh, like, hey, you can promote the podcast, but we're not putting his voice on? All those situations are different. I don't believe Odyssey has a hard and fast rule, what they're doing nationally. Um, Beasley, I, I can't really speak to that one or iHeart. I can speak to Spotify. They're not going to let us advertise podcasts unless we advertise that they're available on Spotify. And we're not sure if that's the direction we want to go to kind of pay to promote their name, right? Mm-hmm. That's the rule for getting through the door. So just like when the sports betting industry came out at first, there was evolution in what people, what stations would allow, what they wouldn't allow, the types of language, the types of integrations. And I think eventually they're all going to have to come to some reckoning, especially with their own inventory that is not on the radio, but is on the stream, that is on the podcast, as to whether it's better for them to monetize something that is somewhat competing there is going to be a limited number of hours to listen to anything in a given day. I would imagine that the Odysseys, the Beasleys, the iHearts have enough confidence in their own core programming. They're not really going to worry about people stop listening to their material because somebody suggested another piece of material. To your point, they take SiriusXM money. SiriusXM puts out a lot of product. Yeah. So if your product's good, and people are enjoying it, they'll still listen. If they're not, 
or they hear an ad that's productive and has something attractive, they're going to go seek it out. I mean, they're going to find it one way or the other. There are many more competitors in this advertising space looking for that same advertising dollar as opposed to their radio space, right? If yep. they've got, they're going against other stations with similar formats. When you start getting into this online download video view world, it opens up a whole other host of competition. Not only is it Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Snapchat and TikTok, it's also just influencers. They're competing sometimes against somebody who just has a million followers. Mm -hmm. And that person who has a million followers will promote your material for X amount of dollars. And that's X dollars that Odyssey doesn't get if they don't want to have that content as part of the, the whole advertising ecosystem. You know, curious to see how, how, they, all, how they all deal with it because they have plenty of inventory. But what do, they, what do they do with that at the end of the day? Adam, let me ask you about talent for a second. Do you envision in the future using your talent for whether it be road shows, doing live events, or doing tours on radio stations to further promote what you guys are creating on the podcast? If people want 20 radio stations, want you know Mike Missinelli during the span of Super Bowl week, do you envision doing those things down the road? Road shows, I would say yes. Um, as far as doing radio road type of stuff. I'm not going to say no to that. I think it's possible, but you know, one of the advantages that we have is owning and operating our own content. So we don't have to run ads. We are yep. the advertiser. We can control our own advertising units and do whatever we want. Like we were saying about radio stations. I was talking to someone today about how many spots an hour, how many units an hour they're, they're running. And it's about five or six more minutes than when I was, you know, running a radio station two years ago. How many segments and how much talk, how much flow can you really get into in this space? And for a road show, um, I think it, it really works. Now running like Miss Anelli and Francesa around on radio stations, that, that might be part of uh, the process, but we're not there yet. Uh, another question is, do they want to do it? Part of the appeal of working with us, I guess, is that there's a lot of flexibility. We're willing to work with whomever about how we get across the line at the end of the day. Let me ask you this, Terry. When it comes to a station or whether it's radio, TV, digital, and they're approaching you and they want, want to try to earn your business, what is important to you? What's one unique thing that they could do to make you feel like, hey, it's, it's worth it for me to be connected to you guys doing business? Well, outside of a $5 CPM, I'm thinking that, <laughs> you know, a, a longer term plan, right? Like we're not, we're not so much into the fast money. Right. Like there it is, especially with sports betting and much less with casino. I mean, it's a uh, seasonal. Right. So, yes, there will be a big splash during the beginning of football season, beginning of basketball season, March Madness. But where are we with the other nine months out of the year where people's attentions wane either because a team is losing or because the other sport that they're interested in is going, you know, having a full year type of package and plan uh, and how there will be, you know, how the best is to integrate in the, the key spots. I think that that goes a long way. And, you know, there's more and more minutes every hour starting to go to advertising because it's, it's the right. But as an advertiser, if I'm one of six, that somebody's going to hear that hour or even within a two hour span, I don't know how I feel about that. 
if they hear my ad and it just reminds them of somebody else's ad that's also doing sports betting, it's not really where we, it's not really where we want to be. It's not really where we want to go. And of course, when we have our own podcasts with, with these guys, we're a hundred percent share of voice. Any advertiser doesn't want to be buried in the eight minute spot break with, you know, 15 other ads in that case, put a bigger emphasis for them to have a stronger video strategy, a stronger podcast strategy, or because it's, you know, you're talking about CPMs. Is it really about the ratings impact and being able to show that they could deliver a result if you're putting a dollar on it? Well, if you believe that uh, radio is most impactful with reach and frequency, right? Then it, it is honestly about some of the cost uh, as you're trying to hit people at different times. I would say sports radio is a little bit different than the rest of radio in that the audience is more engaged. So in some sense, you do want to do special things, but you know, I think one of the places where we started to go also was having more live remotes. We didn't really take advantage of that during COVID times, of course. Yeah, we went can't. Yeah. Uh, couldn't. But once we started kind of loosening it up a little bit, uh, you know, we wanted to be able to be a part of that a little bit more. Um, you know, we have partner casinos as well, and most of them have some uh, in the in the sports book. They've got like a little uh, place that you could broadcast from. So, you know, trying to work on a little bit more, uh, how do we connect with people in the physical world and not just over the airwaves as well? Uh, it's probably pretty decent. Adam, let me ask you this. You've been a programmer before you got involved with Bet Rivers as director of broadcasting and streaming media. So if you're giving advice to a PD who's listening to this and is looking at the betting space, what would be your overall advice of what they should be doing to make sure their their brand is in a strong position going forward in this space? Program directors are being thrown around more and more by sales managers. And you it's really hard to get through the clutter, whether you're coming up with a, a segment or you're booking a guest um, who can talk sports betting, different things you can do. Um, but, you know, in the PPM world, it's really tough to make sure whether you're getting them in that first segment or the last segment, or you're getting that five minutes, um, because a lot of people don't understand the nuances sometimes of sports betting. So you have to be careful with maybe who you're putting on, when you're putting them on, uh, you're putting people on making picks, you're going to get a lot of angry listeners calling the PD or producers. Uh, but then also there's the sales factor always comes in at a radio station. From my experience, sports betting segments and topics always drew big numbers. Um, you just have to kind of tread lightly, I think, because as soon as you go to a break, you know, you're going to be one of three or four different sports book advertisers. And then there's a lot of conflicts there. So it, it gets it gets funky. Do you think it's more beneficial for a station to be focused on the casual fan who likes sports and might bet versus yeah. the hardcore guy who is going to bet and is going to remember every pick that your talent made? If you want my opinion, you know, you always take care of the P1s. That was the right. Only. But in this world, you want to get as many people as you can. So you have to be more general and maybe not get into the weeds so much and maybe stick to the sports talk and the casual person who might make a bet. When Adam was making those programming decisions about putting sports betting into the content or not, there was not a glut of sports betting content in the market. Almost being more unique in broadcast radio is to kind of not talk about sports betting too much. If you're not going to do it right, however your station defines right, you're not going to do it right. You probably shouldn't do it. 
because you're going to lose a degree of credibility that you are not going to get back. For you guys to be satisfied and feel like something you've been working on is hitting all the right notes and producing the results you want, what needs to happen? Well, our our short-term goal is to allow people to enjoy our content from within the sports betting and the casino apps. Okay. So we're working toward that first and foremost. For that, that this project will ultimately be a success once, once that happens. Uh, when it comes to a much larger expansion, uh, I think that we look at uh, which shows already are in a good place that the fan bases are, are hitting the KPIs that we want in terms of listening. And then how do we just expand it? For the podcasts that are not quite there, we want to keep getting them to that point. Uh, once that's over, I think that we are turning more and more of our attention to catering to the casino side of what we are what we are trying to do. I mean, sports, I don't want to say is um, easy. It's not, right? But it's the infrastructure is somewhat built for running up sports programming because it, it has been a successful format, right, for 30 years. And uh, there's kind of a way to somewhat do it so that you can uh, gain an audience and, uh, and cater to your markets. With casino, it's kind of starting from scratch. There's been poker programming uh, over the last 15 years or so. And, but when it comes to all the other aspects of casino in, in all these states that are becoming legalized, you're starting from scratch. Nobody ever made, nobody ever really made casino content. So from our perspective, it's the next great challenge for us. We want to give folks in the markets uh, things that they want to listen to for sure. And if it's uh, a couple more sports shows, that's great. If they only want to ever listen to my princess, uh, we can abide by that too, right? Like that's uh, that that wouldn't be a problem as long, yeah. as, as, long <laughs> as Mike's good with that. So I think that for over the next couple of years, you'll see our production value increase, accessibility, distribution, uh, and honestly staying true to why we got into this in the first place, which is to give our audience some way to connect with us outside of simply um, betting. And the, the buy-in from these people like Missinelli, Francesa, Danny Mack, Mark Madden is huge because, you know, if they buy in to what you're trying to do, it just feeds off everybody in the department and then word of mouth and it spreads. And you really need that from these guys. And these guys are used to doing five days a week, four or five hours a day. So it's a major shift. Sometimes they want to do a little more. Sometimes we're fine with it. I'm not saying that it's not that easy to find buy-in but it's not easy. You know, these guys are so trained from habitual listening to so many years of doing things one way. They really have to buy into what you're trying to do. And I think everybody that we've hired and brought on has done that. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at sports radio PD or read his columns on Barrett sports